Welcome to the HR Futures Podcast, brought to you by Expedite HR, the organisation behind Working Futures, the event for HR directors, and the new mobile application, Circal, the only app dedicated to developing and improving the HR profession. This podcast is also brought to you in association with Zealous, the market-leading provider of payroll, HR, and managed services. With me today uh, is Karen Bevan. Uh, former HR director at River Island, and now doing her own thing, uh, two businesses. So, Karen, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you uh, for joining us. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now? Sure. So, I'm about a year and a half out of that last HR director role, so I've been on a little bit of a journey. Um, I now have two businesses of my own. The first one, which I think most people are familiar with, is PX Innovations Limited, and this is my company through which I do HR consulting, um, exec coaching, and seem to be very much moving into a space of helping HR people. Um, helping HR people energise themselves, helping HR people energise their teams and really drawing on the experiences I've had. Um, I also have a second business called the IVF Coach Limited. Um, And in this one, this is a bit reflective of my own journey in that I'd had, um, and it's not a secret, I'd had 10 cycles of IVF treatment. And going through that, going on that journey, it led me to a point where I had a breakdown. So at the right time last year, I decided I wanted to um, use that experience in a positive way and see what I could do with it. Um, Again, drawing on my HR background. So I've set up this business where um, I coach people who are going through IVF treatment. um, And I also support organisations who want to understand the impact of IVF on their employees. So with one in six couples struggling with infertility in the UK, it's a big issue. Um, and people can be going through that cycle for many years. So I think um, it's something that a lot of employers don't know how to respond no, to and don't know fair. how to res- yeah, to yeah. Um, support their teams. So that's what I'm doing now. Okay. So sounds like you're pretty busy. So tell us a bit about, first we'll go to the first business. So in terms of, what did you call PX? PX Innovations Limited. Right. In terms of that business... Tell us the sorts of projects. So what's the sort of most interesting thing you've been working on for the last few months with a client? You know, what sort of things are you you doing? The, the work that I predominantly do now is actual transformation of HR functions. Okay. Um, and I think what, the, um, in particular, is this a modernization um, and positioning of HR. So I very much am coming from the background of let's just ditch humans, our resources to be managed I know we still have to use the phrase quite a lot at the moment because we're in a transition phase and people just generally don't know what you're talking about if you don't start off with. Um, But really moving the um, the mindset of HR people to ditch that and say, no, actually, our job is to um, curate people experience within the organisation. So rather in it pretty much in a similar way as um, customer service or customer experience, curate customer experience. The HR function should have that inside them that they are curating the people experience within the organisation. And I help them do that through um, a model which encompasses focusing on um, happiness and well-being of people, um, smart use of data and technology, commercial and evidence-based action, um, and also a focus on the future of work and underpin all of that with agile project management methodology. Sounds good. Yeah. And some kind of consistent measurement of the employee experience within that as well? Yeah, I mean, people do that in different ways, depending on the size of the organisation. Mm. Um, and it is that the cultural shift. And I'll tell you yeah. a really good story. I was talking to an HR director the other day, and we were talking about employee experience. And what he said to me, which I thought will resonate with you, he said, I've got more information about the cleanliness of the toilets than I have about how my people are feeling and where they are. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we've got the happy faces outside all the toilets, 100,000 employees mm. around the world. And, you know, if you press the red face, then data gets collected. There's a problem with the toilet. Someone gets sent and sorts it out. They're managing 100,000 people and they do a survey once a year at a global level. So they've got no granular details. He said, our leadership team is running this human capital business completely blind. And... What they've now started to do, which I think resonates, is they started to look at the employee experience and recognise it's quite different in different parts of the organisation. 
and they're starting to understand why is that because of management behavior so i think there's something definitely about the whole employee experience stuff that really i think resonates with hr but i think you've got to measure it a bit like you measure customer experience so you can then start to say well where are we what's working what isn't working and also just listen to your people, isn't it? I mean, it's quite fundamental, really. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, as a consultant going into an organisation, you get a very, very quickly, you can get a sense of the energy and the level of energy within the organisation from the top to the bottom yeah. and how energised is that organisation. So I look at that and also then turn that back, really hold the mirror up to HR and the HR function. Yeah, and then yeah. how energised are you? Because energised organisations need energised HR people and that quite often is something that's overlooked I think um, that's true yeah yeah I think HR uh, tend to be quite tired quite often they try and do too much mm-hmm. and don't focus on the things that have the biggest impact yeah um, so let's talk about the other business because I think that is interesting both from a sort of organizational perspective of employers and HR mm-hmm. not really being aware how they can support people that are going through IVF treatment um, but also individuals, you know, I mean, I think, you know, the whole coaching stuff, you know, we're used to that now, aren't we, in our society, people getting support and yeah. advice and guidance and help. So tell us a bit about um, how does that work? Do you just work with couples, do you, you know, or is it, and, and how do you get the work? Is it referred? So I am um, partner with a large fertility clinic in London. Um, I have a quite a good relationship with them based on the fact that I'd had so many years of treatment with them. So I speak at their open evenings um, and I um, have all of my marketing materials in their waiting room. So I get some degree of um, yeah, yeah. clients through there. Um, every Monday I have a, a room that I, I use, where I, which is a short walk away from the, the clinic and I see people face to face there. Nice. I also see people virtually via video call um, for people who are not based in yeah, London. Yeah, yeah. So I see individuals, I see couples, and um, people who just want somebody to talk to who genuinely understands the journey that they're on. Um, and sometimes that can make a massive difference. Yeah, I'm sure it can. Um, so I'm not a counsellor, I'm not a therapist. There are people who specialise in that who um, can support. But what I can do is really, and what I do do, is I support from a really practical perspective. Imagine at a very senior level, if you're going through IVF treatment, um, you have all kinds of questions come up in your head. Should I apply for that next job? Should I move house? Um, All of the stresses that you're having to manage at work, outside of work, can have an impact on the the success of the treatment that you're having. And how do you split your time? So running two businesses that are, yeah. you know, there are some similarities, I'm sure, in terms of sort of advice, giving, yeah. whatever. But, you know, how do you get in the right zone for different work? So this is right, today's fertility day and tomorrow yeah. I'm going to go in and work with an HR team. How do you sort of deal with that? Um, I actually, I don't find that too hard. And I think the reason for that is because both of those businesses come from a point of passion. Um, and where you operate from something that you feel so incredibly passionate about, um, then it's almost like you're not making a switch because it's not like you're having to go back and find some information. It's in you um, and you're super passionate about it. So it comes very naturally to do that. Um, Long term, I think the businesses may transition more to an online model, certainly with the uh, the IVF one, or yeah. um, expand with associate coaches. So I think the models are shifting and evolving. So we'll just see what, what what's going yeah. to happen, really. And you want to, you, you, but you'd like to turn them into businesses as well. You don't just want to just do it yourself. You'd yeah, like to grow sure. them and do things differently. Yeah, I just want to be able to help more people. Cool. Okay. So you sort of mentioned how you got into this. And mm-hmm. I suppose, should we go back? So what was the job, you were, your last HR job, your last sort of big HR job? Tell us a bit about that. And then I want to go even further back and talk about how you got into HR in the first place. Okay, sure. So my last big HR job was HR director at River Island. So I was there for just coming up to six years. And we did a big transformation piece of work there at River Island. Um, and I left there in December 2017. It's a fascinating business to work for. They had about 10,500 employees at the time when I was there. Um, And in that six years, we went on a real journey of transformation, really remodeled the HR function, um, set up a learning and development academy, um, just did so much work to kind of really reflect the culture of the organization. And I think the... um, 
the the celebration of that work for me came in 2015 where we won best recruitment strategy best hr team i got hr director of the year hr gold award all of the hr excellence awards so really proud of the work that i did there i want to come back to that in a minute yeah so i want to get you to talk about some of those experiences but you sort of made, you mentioned that you were on a transformational journey within HR. So describe sort of where HR was when you first got that role and where it was when you left and then what the difference was. What was the transformation? Describe the sort of arc. Yeah, sure. I think it was um, the, the team were very much in a, a place of transactional HR when I um, first joined the business. Yeah. Um, and like a lot of HR functions, more than you would think, still operating from a position of um, no real HR system, so data being managed in a limited way on Excel. (laughs) But this is not uncommon, even in a business of that size. So I think that was really the starting point. And um, some efficiencies perhaps in the way of the team had been set up, but what had been right for the the organisation at one point in time, mm. but then the organisation was transforming, moving from this bricks and mortar retailer Trying to a true, just, true, yeah. you know, omni-channel business internationally. So everything needed to shift and change. It wasn't just the HR function. And I think I was incredibly privileged to be able to join at that time and go with the business on that journey. It's a family business. So oh, yeah, um, that made it... The journey a little bit more special, I think, as well, because although, yes, it's a large organisation, the family dynamics were very strong. So um, it wasn't overly corporate, overly formal. Decisions were made in perhaps non-linear ways. So you mentioned sort of the HR function was very transactional. Um, And I think I know what you mean, but why don't you just explain that to us and then... Tell us, you know, where the HR function end up. You know, what would the difference be in terms of activity and areas of focus? Yeah, sure. So um, I think the one of the best examples, I think in my first week joining the business, a hard copy memo landed on my desk asking Gosh. me to do a, a, um, an, a process to change somebody's holiday entitlement, I think. Um and that wasn't unusual at that point in time. Okay. Um, with the HR team, they were very much reaction driven. So either in, in the head office environment, people just walking in to an office and with issues, with issues on needing information, because there wasn't a system or process for people no. to access information any other way. Yeah. So um, it, it, that was the the only course of action that people mm. could have. And in in terms of the field support for the retail organisation. Very, um, I sometimes use the phrase HR police, but most people will know what I I talk about when I say that. So very, let's go and check X, Y, and Z. So, I mean, so I always think transactional Mm. HR always comes from this perception that it's the three Ps. We start with policies, then we create Mm. procedures and processes, and then we try and police people to deliver it. And and the belief that that's going to deliver what we want. Exactly. I sort of get it. Um, and tell us sort of where you ended up then. So that's, I think we've only got a picture of where you started. Yeah, sure. So there was a case of get, just getting the basics done and, and improving systems and processes so people could access information more readily for themselves. Yeah. Um, adopting more of a, a partnering model, um, though not the Ulrich model in the traditional sense, just the, the model that was right for that organisation. Well, tell me about that then. So mm-hmm. tell me about what you went to. So did you have centres of excellence, shared service and a business partnering or did you have a sort of a hybrid? Probably a hybrid version of that. Um, and part of that was because of the, the strength of existing relationships within the organisation mm. um, and um, anything that felt like it would have... It, put jumps in the like hurdles for people to jump over to get to the people they really wanted to speak to would not have been um, received well. So yeah. you still wanted to enable people to contact people they felt they had a strong connection with, and um, but the work needed to change. So it was a, it was a slow and evolving process to, to change the model. Um, didn't have, you know, one point of shared service where everything comes into that that team. Um, it just would, it wasn't the right setup for that organisation, okay. very much based on just cultural factors. Yeah. Um, 
And because of the nature of the organisation, senior people still felt that they wouldn't have wanted to have to call in to a certain point and then <laughs> go back. Yeah, yeah. So you have to respect that to an extent, I think, if you want to get things done. So we did that. The whole recruitment team changed. Not it changed people, but the, the function changed. Because at the time, I think, when I joined, they were also doing all of the general HR admin in addition to recruitment, mm. which, you, as you can imagine, means that you can't spend all of your time doing recruitment. No, absolutely. Yeah. Because you're dealing with a lot of transactional issues as well. So that came out from the recruitment. So we enabled those people to really do their job and do it well. Um, in addition, the, um, the learning and development function was very um, in early stages of growth and investment at the yeah, point yeah. when I started. So that developed by the time when I left. That was that we had a learning and development academy um, about to start running apprenticeships, a digital learning platform so people could access materials themselves. Um, I'd also set up a commercial styling venture within the business, okay. um, which still operates in some of the mega flag stores today. And that really helped, I think, show the so credit. So what is that? So tell me the- personal styling. So okay, you could go yeah, into um, yeah, yeah. one of the large River Island stores um, and have a complimentary styling service. Yeah. So you, um, a stylist, will advise you I'm on what suits you. I'm desperate need of this, Karen. I'm young, Just, this, is, this is the hey, future. Hey, pop down. It's still there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, it's an amazing experience. It's completely complimentary. You can have complimentary drink while you're in there. You'll feel it's a little bit of luxury on the high street. Um, And what that, of course, means is that the average transaction value increases. So um, although it's a free service, in general, it's very hard to walk away from that kind of service, just purchasing one item. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. So um, very, very successful. So the point I suppose you're making is that you came up with a commercial idea. You thought about it from a sort of customer service perspective. Yeah. And obviously what we need to do is have slightly different skills for the people that are providing that service than a normal retail uh, member of staff. But the idea was actually we'll increase spend per customer that goes Absolutely. through the process. Increase average transaction value. Um, and through doing that project, having to work cross-functionally, I think elevated the um, perception of what HR is capable of um, and gained a little bit more respect. Cool. Okay. So I'm going to go right back to the beginning now. Mm-hmm. So tell us, how did you get into HR? Was you someone, uh, I don't know, at university, was a young person, thought, actually, I, I've always wanted to be in HR? Or did you somehow fall into it and then eventually go, oh, I think this is most probably what I should be doing? Tell us a little bit, how did you get into HR in the first place? Uh, I'm one of those people who fell into HR. So my journey is not a, a standard one, but I think anybody's journey is a standard one. Um, so I, um, after leaving school, I trained to be a horse riding instructor. Horse riding Absolutely, instructor? Absolutely, Not yeah. had one of them before. That's no, fantastic. so I worked for many years as a horse riding instructor up in the Lake District. Cool. And then I got to a point where I decided that I wanted to... Um, do a job for the money, not the passion. And there's not okay. a huge amount of money. Uh, it's a, no, it's a, sure. Really, it's a passion job. So I absolutely loved it. But I decided I was going to transition into retail. And there was a new retail center opening up in my hometown. So I applied for a job in retail, just a sales assistant level. And then I worked my way up to store manager of, um, for me, the best shop in my hometown, which was a local record shop. Oh, record shops. I get, I get record shops. Yeah, yeah, so that was a pretty good job. And then, this is where it gets a little bit crazy. So it was around the time of the millennium. Okay. And I had this compelling urge to do something because it was the millennium. So I decided I was going to move to London. Okay. Um, and I moved to London. Um, I didn't know anybody. Did you apply for a job? No. Did, you didn't even get a job first? No, I just thought, oh, it's going to be, it's London. You, well, there's there's going to be loads of jobs in London, it's surely. So I didn't really have a plan. I just knew, knew that I wanted to be in London. So I came to London and uh, it wasn't actually as easy to get a job as I thought it was going to be. But I did have the fortune of walking down a street one day, just off Oxford Street. Yeah. And there was a job centre there. I walked past the window of this job centre and Sainsbury's were having an open day inside it. And they were oh, okay. advertising for their new store, which was a store just by Green Park. Yeah. And they're advertising for an assistant personnel and training manager. Ah. So I thought, right, okay. Well, I train people how to ride horses. I can manage people because I've been a retail manager. Let's go yeah. and have a conversation. Yeah. 
So I had an interview on the Thursday and I started work with them on the Monday. So that, that's how that's how I fell into so, so so retail was sort of passion. You like that the oh, idea yeah. of serving people. Mm. You'd done the bit about training, yeah, and then you saw an opportunity and went for it. And and how long was you at Sainsbury's doing that role? I was there for a year. Right. Okay. Loved the job. An amazing, amazing company to have a grounding in HR. Yeah. In. Probably one of the best. It's not bad. I've known lots of people that, that started early in Sainsbury's. It was so good um, in terms of that gr- initial grounding. But on the, the way to work one day um, on the tube, um, I picked up a copy of the Metro and there was a job for HR, I think it was HR assistant or HR advisor with HMV. Oh, regular chops, back Absolutely. to music. Absolutely. So it was like, that's clearly my job yeah. um, because of my background in, yeah. in music retail. And that role was just to look after um, the HR function for their distribution centre, okay. which at the time was in um, Hackney. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Funny place to put a distribution centre. Yeah, we'll, on yeah. Mare Street in Hackney. I don't think it's there anymore, but no, sure uh, that's, where it, that's where it was. Because HM, HMV exists. It just about exists, I think. It's really hanging I on. I know, yeah. Yeah, it's an amazing, iconic brand. And yeah. at that time, about to go into a phase of massive growth. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, an awesome company to be part of. I felt okay. like I was living so they, the dream. So, how long was you there? There again, perhaps not too long. Right. Um, uh, oh gosh, probably about a year, year and a yeah, half. Yeah. Then a job came up with a, a company in the music industry, Sanctuary Records. Okay. Now, this company. So, I'm Maiden, isn't it? Yeah. See? Yeah, and that was so appealing to me, given my interest in music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Massive Iron Maiden fan. Um, you could walk into the office and maybe Bruce Dickinson would be in the restaurant having yeah, something yeah, yeah. to eat. Awesome. So you in heavy metal then? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. We'll get yeah. to that at the end of the <laughs> I'm sure there's a few bands. I can tell you about 1975 seeing ACDC for the first oh, time. Oh, lovely. But anyway. Good. So... Yeah. Going to the music industry. Did you yeah. like the job there? I mean, the industry was great, but the yeah. job now, is challenging, now, isn't it? Well, this is where it did get interesting for me. My bad, I'd had a good amount of time in retail at that point. And um, what became evident to me was actually it was the pace of retail that was where my heart was. And I, it was so super cool working in the music, in, in a company that had record labels, recording studios, live tours. Mm all these superstars in in the head office. It was so cool. But ultimately, I really missed the pace of doing HR in a retail business. Okay. Um, And that drove me back into retail again. Okay, so where did you go then? Then I went to work for the Arcadia Group. Okay. And I had my first field-based HR role. And that was with um, Burton. Yeah, and yeah, I looked yeah, after yeah, yeah. the Burton stores for it was at Wales and the south of England, pretty much like M4 okay. South. I um, knew the training and development manager there, guy called John Morris. Do you remember John? Oh no, mm, he was a great guy. But anyway, yeah. so Debenham, uh, not Debenham, sorry, Arcadia Group. Yeah. Um, and so I suppose what now? You've been in HR um, six, seven years. Yeah. And so. When you were reflecting then, mm. were you going, well, this is definitely what I want to do. I get this. I can see I can make a difference. I'm enjoying it. There's a bit of passion about it. Or was, did you still think it was retail that was your... Um, I don't think I've ever really overthought it to that point. But the thing, if I look back about the consistency, I would say I've only ever done work that I've loved and I felt passionate about. And the minute that starts to change... I know that it's time to do something different. Okay. So it's when I'm engaged and passionate about something, I know I can do my best work, and that's what I want to try and maintain that. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Mm. So let's let's go forward then. Mm. So let's say River Island. So I'm, I'm really looking for something that you're really proud of. So um, not just sort of winning the awards, but mm. making a difference. So tell us about the thing that when you think back about your time in HR that you go that was great you know we we hit the nail on the head we did something important we made a difference to people's lives or to the business performance so what is it that sort of leaps up when you're thinking about that um what to be honest it's not necessarily the label of the award the winning awards is nice but that's not the thing that really is the thing that's made a difference it's the work that you've done that's made somebody want to give you that award and that is um 
the impact that you can have on people's lives through delivering what I would call now an improved people experience. Yeah. Um, and when people can come to work and um, do their best work, then you can see just in terms of whatever stats or however you're collating those figures, employee happiness is increasing, um, then that's very rewarding. I know that delivering that personal styling service, now that everybody who walks mm. into that service and walks out of it walks out feeling a million dollars. Okay, so let me go, let's go back to sort of the, the River Island experience. What was the, how did you, you make that happen? So how did you have an impact from an HR function on improving the employee experience? What things did you put in place that weren't there before? What levers did you pull that went, ooh, that, that moved us on? Uh, the learning and development function, that was a biggie, yeah. I think. Um, and bringing people together, bringing the leadership team together more um, through uh, just the way that the HR function was engaging with them and bringing all yes. the stories within the business together. Because I think that's part of HR's role as well, is understanding the stories and the narrative of the organisation, particularly in a family business where you want to keep that history yeah. and legacy alive. But there's different stories that happen in all of the different areas. Um, but how do you then keep that alive and make sure that everybody understands the story and have their part in it? So how did you do that? Go on, tell me how you did it. Because I, I get it. I get, I yeah. get a family business. I've worked with them myself over the years. And there's, some, there's something that's wonderful about that. But there's also, uh, it has an ability to stifle an organisation because yeah. of the founders are still in it and the way they've done stuff. And, and so how do you keep that, you know, how do you innovate and move forward and grow and scale up and yeah. at the same time keep something that's quite important, some heritage, some values, you know, and I'm interested in how you went about doing that. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no one blueprint for how to do it. I think it's a case of being open-minded enough to um, try different things learn and then um, move on again so I think when you work in an organization that doesn't penalize people for failure and that it's everybody makes a mistake and it's okay to try then that's um, a way that you get more things done um, the, the systems and processes that we set up perhaps and thinking what made the biggest change perhaps removing some of the yeah. the stuff that was getting in the way of that Yep. Um, an example of that might be the annual appraisal process that was there initially, um, that was there because it was a set process that needed to be completed at a certain point in the year, that everybody yep. had to do it. The HR police were going to be chasing you yep. down if Fill you hadn't forms, done it. The form's been done. We've exactly. 68% of the form's done. Yeah, and it was just, um, the, it was a point of tension and there was a very, very low completion rate, less than, I think it was less than 10% at head office. Um, but still, there was a huge amount of energy and um, time investment in chasing people yeah. and driving this thing, this beast that wasn't working. And it wasn't reflective of the, the culture. It's some very creative people working in the organization. Sure. Um, designers, you know. Merchandisers. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it just didn't fit. So what we decided to do was just to take it away. I said, let's put this in the hands of the employees, have an employee-led process. So if you want a development review at any point in the year, you can request one. It's in your hands. Okay. And then from the, the line manager's perspective, you still manage somebody's performance. If they're not doing a good job, tell them, but tell them in the moment. Don't save it up till your annual appraisal. Yeah. It's very much this culture of in-the-moment conversations. So at any time, somebody should know what kind of level of job they're doing? Are they doing a good job or not? What are the um, goals and targets of the organisation? Yeah, this is what we want yeah. you to do. This is what great looks like. Yeah, and this is what we're looking to achieve as a department and a function. This is what the organisation's looking to achieve as a manager. That's your job to make sure people know that um, and just to manage their performance in a very natural way. So if they're doing a good job have a conversation and tell them. If they're not, have a conversation and tell it them. It's interesting, Karen, because again, I talk to HR audiences all the time, as you do at events and stuff, and I always go, so performance management, right? So why are we doing it? And the, un, the, you know, the belief underneath this is if we don't give them a process and manage the process, they won't do it. And I'm just not sure that's true. I actually think, to some way, you're absolutely right in that. And I always then say, so... You know, when do we ever take the process away then? 
when do we ever get them there? Well, we don't. We're still managing it 10 years on in the same way we've started. So I think you're absolutely right. There has to be a different way of getting performance, feedback conversations into an organisation which feels more natural, is more, uh, as you would say, in the moment. So they're specific to what's just been experienced and what happened. And it just feels normal, you know, whereas, uh, uh, you know, appraisal systems normally don't feel normal. They feel like people are saving stuff up. They've been, you know, it all gets a bit formal. They've got to fill in a form and rank you and give you a score and... Or it's a competency review and it doesn't quite fit the job, you know. So we sort of, I think you're right, we often get in the way. And I don't think HR sees itself that way enough. So I get what you were talking about. So so the proudest thing, I suppose, what you're really saying is the sort of changing the approach of HR and becoming more central to the organisation but doing it not through the sort of prescriptive tools and mechanisms and sort of working with leaders and managers to find the right approach. Yeah, I think working in an organic way so you're not suddenly um, implementing new ways of working. Just work, be very, very in tune to the culture of the organisation and then when you get that organically move forward, test, fail, try, keep moving. Agile, absolutely, got yeah. Um, and then you'll hit on something that works. Yeah, because I, I think you're right. Because I think there's this thing about we still think we're the experts and we know best. And I think if you think about one of the great things about Agile is the whole co-creation stuff, which yeah. is just ask them, get them to design it, and then they'll own it, they'll drive it, they'll do it, yeah. and they'll experience it. Okay, I think we've had a, a really great first half of our conversation. Uh, join us in a couple of minutes. We'll be back for the second half of the HR Futures podcast with Karen Bevan. Are you looking to reduce risks and operating costs? Or increase your agility and capacity? There's more pressure than ever for HR and finance to provide strategic value for the business and for CEOs. At Zealous, our expert team creates software and manage services that handle your entire payroll and HR admin processes. We believe there are two sides to the employee experience. The fundamentals that need to go unnoticed and experiences that employees really care about. And we can help you master both. We're here to make the complex simple, freeing you up to focus on your people and achieve your goals. Find out more at zealous.com. So welcome back to the second part of our HR Futures podcast. And with me today is Karen Bevan. Uh, Karen was an award-winning HR director at River Island but is now running her own consultancy business and an IVF coaching business. And in the first half of this podcast, we talked quite a bit about uh, some of the great work she did at River Island, how she moved from a uh, horse riding coach into the music industry, back into retail and then into HR. Um, And what we're going to do in the second half is talk a bit more about uh, some of her experiences, both now as a consultant and in her work in HR, and then we're going to talk a little bit about Karen, the person at the end. So um, one of the questions, I suppose, that we didn't deal with in the first half of our podcast, Karen, was tell us about something that you did. You know, with hindsight, it's a wonderful thing, but it's also a great, you know, has an ability to help us learn and develop by looking back and reflecting. So can you think of something in your HR career that you did that you go, well, if I was do- had my time again, I wouldn't do that or I'd do it in a really different way. So... The bigger the disaster, the better. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm, I'm actually quite a spiritual person. So I would say actually there's probably nothing that I would do differently because I believe that we're all on the path that we're on for a reason and put in certain places for a reason. Um, if I think about if I had to do something differently or what's the biggest lesson that I've learned that led to the biggest disaster... Um, it may be the fact that um, so all that work that we did at River Island and all of that energy that I was channeling into work. Um, it, yes, it looks good on face value, multi-award winner, yeah, yeah. Uh, set up the, this function, I've written a book, all of this brilliant, brilliant <laughs> stuff. However, um, and I, I'd like people to think about this in terms of what they observe in 
uh, potential high performing people that might be around them or themselves for me that was masking something that I should have dealt with but I didn't deal with so it's not always a positive story behind that and actually for me and behind all of that was some really unhealthy behaviors in that I was um going through my infertility journey yeah um, at the point where I picked up that award, the point when I stood on stage and picked up that award, I was three months pregnant. Um, and that was my fifth cycle of IVF treatment. Okay. But I'd been relentless in that approach to IVF. Absolutely relentless. As you've been in many other things in your life. Exactly. Um, going from one failed cycle of IVF to the next, to the next, right? It, it's failed. What can we learn? What did we learn from that one? Let's do something different. Let's try some new medication. Um, And ultimately what that meant is um, by the time I had a breakdown, 10 cycles of IVF, with the the exception of the year when I was pregnant um, and a little bit of the time when I was off after I'd had my baby. So you had a successful... uh, Yes. And then carried on. And then carried on. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'd been on medication for IVF for six years, pretty much. Maybe coming up to seven years yeah. in that cycle without giving my body a rest, without giving my um, mental health a rest and break from okay. that. I'd also had two natural miscarriages during that time. Yeah. Um, and my way of coping was to become as busy as possible so that I didn't have time to even think about this stuff that I should have been dealing with. I was just pushing it and pushing it down as far as I um, could push it down. Uh, 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 and you don't have to talk, but talk about what do you mean by the stuff that you were pushing the down? Stuff. So just the, the, the feelings um, of... Be, so uh, depression, anxiety, yeah. grief from multiple sure. um, lost pregnancies. Um, and then, um, I mean, IVF is a highly, highly invasive mentally and physical process. Yeah. Um, and you, you completely lose sense of yourself through it. So I detached almost from myself okay. to get through it, but I didn't see that at the time. I was on a very, very destructive spiral that I couldn't see. And actually on the external face of it was managing to operate in this way where I was standing on stage picking up awards. Um, but that was just because of this frantic energy that was masking and squashing down stuff okay. that I should have been dealing with. So, so there was a bit about yourself. There was definitely yeah. some reflection about what had been going on for you. And I suppose yeah. also a bit about organisations and how they view success and how people are behaving and yeah. and being able... So one of the things I'm a great believer is HR is often and should be people that look at people yeah. as well as looking at business results and performance and go, how are things? What is really going on? Yeah. So and that it, would have gone undetected because I'd been that way since I'd started work within yeah. that organisation. So that they would have said that that was normal behaviour. And looking back, now I couldn't see that at the time. I didn't know I was going to have a breakdown until the moment that I was actually pretty much on my way to hospital. Yeah. You don't see it happening. Um, but I can, in hindsight, being on the journey that I've been on, see it now. And I can see it in people that I work with now and I can see it in people that I've worked in in the past. These warning signs, not just in people in leadership roles and people in in all levels of role leaders of organizations and most importantly perhaps hr people themselves and because we just um we don't take this seriously enough so if i could change anything yeah perhaps it would have been that i would have taken a little bit more care of myself um so that i could have then even done done a, a better job in a more healthy and sustainable way and promoted that behaviour um, in in the people around mm. me as well, so that hopefully more people wouldn't have ended up in a destructive cycle. Okay, I think it's you know it's clearly you know a, a traumatic and and difficult process to go through, but you seem to have come out of it incredibly well on the other side, and you're in a different space. I know there's a journey that you've yeah. most probably been through. Yeah. But that is a bit about life, isn't it? And again, I think, so what you're really saying is, I think, think, look at yourself, look at how you're behaving, what's going on for you. But I also think, you know, about that, you know, get external perspective on stuff, get people to work with you as a coach or as a mentor and get people that just ask you some of those questions. And in business, people don't often ask them, you know, each other, how are, we, how are things really for you? You know, we want to say, how are you? And it's like, yeah, fine. And we all move on. Mm. But sort of just, get underneath it a little bit 
Yeah, get really honest with yourself first. You'll know whether you're... I, I, the way I, I, one of the questions I always ask people is, how are you fueling yourself? Are you fueling yourself for the level of performance that you want to achieve or not? You'll know what your diet's like. <laughs> you don't need me to tell you to have less, drink less coffee or... St- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're all laughing because I'm on my like, third or fourth coffee this morning, you know, just trying to get... <laughs> So yeah, most probably, right. I think, how are, you, how are you fueling your body and what type of energy are you bringing into your body and how is that manifesting in the performance you're then able to deliver? You wouldn't feed a racehorse alcohol and junk food and expect it to win a race. So if you expect to achieve results and achieve a high level in your profession, how are you fueling that? That's the basic. That's what it all yeah, comes yeah. from. And think about what things bring you strength in your life. How connected are you with those things? Point when I had my breakdown, I had nothing in my life that I felt was giving me strength. I couldn't write anything down when somebody asked me that question. I'd been living for months on caramel macchiatos and chocolate. These things, it creeps upon you over time. So you yeah. need a bit of a reflect. Hold that mirror up to yourself. What, okay. Yeah. So, 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 you know, if you're working with HR directors now, and you're talking to them about well-being within their organisations. What sort of things do you think they should be doing? How do they, how do, from an organisational perspective, how do you get into that conversation? How do you mm, spot it, work with it, educate people, get people to think about where they go if they are struggling with stuff? What, what's the mechanisms that you think seem to work? Of course, now there are so many apps there are so many um, engagement surveys that you can do there's lots of ways of gathering data but i have a a a bit of a genuine belief that if i if you if you ask a hr director what is this organization doing that's having a negative impact on people's health they'll come up with a list of five or six things They'll know. They'll just know. They will, it will very, very easily come out of their mouths. You can have the same conversation with leaders of the organisation. They'll know these things. And then it's a case of, is this the right time to address this and do something about it? Or do you want to sit with it for a bit longer? Sure, it's a question. Are you happy with this situation? Do you want to sit with it or do you want to do something about it? Um, it's their information. It's their choice of when they want to deal with it. And I get that. I suppose one of the things I'm interested in is the conversation with leaders. Mm. Um, because it, you know, let me, you know, some of the people I go back to my own career, people I've worked with, I go, that sounds all a bit pink and fluffy, you know, a nice thing to do. Not that we shouldn't yeah. do it, quite like it, you know, look after our people, be mm. a bit paternalistic. But it's more than that, isn't it? This yeah. is about performance and about getting people to do the right stuff day in, day out yeah. with energy and enthusiasm and deliver. So yeah. how do you get it to sort of tied in so you win, not win the argument, but get them to do it from a... I think it's a slightly different story when you're trying to get buy-in from um, a C, C-suite. I mean, I think you need a mix of information there. You need hard facts. So you need to gather some data Um, on uh, the impact of doing well-being well um, and not doing well-being well and just see what's out there. I know a lot of people refer to the the performance of the Coop Award winners in the US and how they uh, significantly outperform stock market and respond quicker when the market has a downturn. So you can throw something like that in there. Then you need to bring it to life with stories that they connect with and resonate with so you find examples and stories that have hit the press about ceos senior leaders who have burnt out crashed out through it not looking after their well-being and you and i both know there are multiple examples of that as well so you get some facts you bring in some stories that they connect with that they can associate themselves with and then you bring them the narrative and the information from their organization yeah and then maybe you test a few things. They say, well, what have you got to lose? This is more than um, free fruit, seriously. Yeah, yeah. It's not necessarily you don't want to go down that route of giving people that and thinking you've solved an issue of well-being or energy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but you listen to the people within the organisation and try um, a few different things. So one of the things that we did at River Island was and we implemented, it started off being summer Fridays, It's Friday afternoon, notoriously the least productive time of the week. So what would happen if during the summer months you said, okay, people at head office, throughout the year you've worked a lot of overtime, 
not necessarily paid for. You've just come in and done a, a above and beyond. So every Friday during the summer, go home at three o'clock or three thirty. Massive impact um, on on how they felt at that time. Good. Yeah, I get that. Is that a bit unfair on the people in the shops? Uh, well, they get paid over time if they work in shops. Okay. All right. So there's a, there's a, it's a slightly different relationship. Yeah. So, you know, because again, one of the great things is that question about fairness, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and do people go on at three o'clock and three thirty? Um, some people do, some people don't. Um, and how were they viewed in the organisation? So the people that left yeah. at three, three and three thirty, that was fine. Absolutely fine. Okay. And actually, what my belief now is that that happens every payday Friday as well. So throughout the yeah, year. Yeah. So actually, the pra- the practice of that has been extended. And there are lots of examples of organisations doing that sort of yeah. stuff. It is just about making sure it's 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 something that actually isn't just said, but people do, and yeah. most people do it, and it's just accepted rather than. Yeah, you know, being seen as something which is a bit, a bit soft. Yeah, I'm not saying it would work in all organisations, which is why you've got to understand the organisation and listen to the narrative and the stories that people are telling cool. you. So thanks for that. I, I, that was a great conversation. Um, let's just move on a little bit. So again, I want to go to HR, and I want you to tell us what you think um, the HR profession gets wrong. You know, what is it that we really need to do differently? And I'm trying to look for one thing, you know, and I know there's going to be 20 things and I've looked at your book and there's lots of great ideas in there, but, you know, it might be the whole approach. It might just be the way we educate uh, young people that come into HR. But what do you think, you know, we need to do differently to make a difference? That's such a big question. And there are so many different ways that that could be answered. Um... I guess I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to answer it in one question, so forgive in one point, so forgive me. I would kind of come at it from the view of, we sometimes perhaps get a little bit hung up on the label. So what would happen if we ditched the label and we didn't have that? That wasn't, that wasn't the, the title of the function that we provide, yeah. the, the, what we do. In fact, if, you're, if you couldn't have human resources or people in your job title how would that make you feel about the work would it change the way you thought about the work that you did if you look at um, the impact you can have in delivering projects through agile methodology um, it touches on that point about co-creation so perhaps if we do have a failure it is that sometimes um, in some organizations not all hr people not all hr functions may have a tendency to work in a, a bubble um, and get st- stuck um, in a point where they haven't got true integration with the rest of the business and don't understand all the business units and can't con- therefore contribute at a strategic or a commercial level. So if we almost stripped away all of the barriers and the labels, could we then truly operate in a co-creative model where we're not hung up on ego or title would, I mean, is no, that no, no, pledging? No, no. I don't know. I, mean, I think there's something in this, Karen. I mean, again, mm. I think you can. I think you're right. You can come at it in lots of different ways. I mean, I think there's, you know, one of my little things that I think about all the time is just get the wrong people in the profession. You know, I go and do an MBA thing on HR strategy, and it's full of young people in their twenties and thirties, early in their career, and how many people in HR? And you get a couple of hands at the beginning. Who wants to spend the time in HR and the two hands that were in it want to come down and the others look at you like you're mad. And you're going, mm, this is what creates value in organisations, guys. And you know, at the end of the session, you get people going, oh, I didn't think HR was like that. It's quite different. So what we get, if you think about competing for talent, is we get all the nice people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We don't get, you know, so if we're competing against marketing and finance and sales and operations do we get the brightest and the best come into hr because i think there's so i just so i'm, I'm giving answer from my own question but i think the point you're making is is if you take away the title if we think about the people that come into it you know why don't we get people from the line come into hr at different times in their career there's, there's so much we can do but unless we start doing stuff differently we're just going to do what we've always done i think that's my fear yeah definitely and i don't know whether it is about um bringing different skills into the profession or just 
I hate to walk, not walking away from the profession, but walking away from it in the format that it is now to um, a different kind of positioning. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I mean, there's lots of things, lots of ways you could do it, isn't there? Mm. Lots of different ways. You could call it uh, business improvement, change management. You know, it's all the same stuff, which is trying to articulate what we're trying to do and galvanise people and encourage people and train people and develop people to do things differently. Yeah. You know, so I think there's, there's, there's a lot in that. Um, so if a young person, you know, someone you know, comes to you, and I expect lots of people come to you quite yeah. early in their careers, I just have that feeling, <laughs> and go, I'm thinking about HR. You know, I'm thinking about spending some time on this. What, would you, what questions would you ask and what advice would you give? The first, the first question, the natural one, of course, is tell me why. What is it? How much do you know about this this role this profession and what is it that's really appealing to you about it where's the passion at um what what's your purpose um in in wanting to do this just to get to a little bit of a conversation around understand the the point of understanding at that moment and what their ambition is and where they want to go um i would encourage people to follow this profession i've um you know it's a profession that has brought me so much joy over the years that i've been working in hr not to say not to say that's happened consistently like most people um when you've worked in hr for a while you go through phases where you fall in and out of love with the profession but as a whole um it's a profession that i've loved and i feel like i've been able to deliver give a lot back through but just testing a little bit of assumptions then i would say learn start to learn but from multiple sources so um yes cipd is of course um a recognized standard in this in this country um there are alternatives as well so you could look at Sherham in the in the u.s so have a look at what they're doing find something that resonates with you um Look for uh, mentors and coaches who inspire you and who have done the things that you want to do because you kind of need somebody who's been there, done that on the path that you're interested in taking. Um, And then learn, but then think about how you can move that forward because if you come into the profession... um, do it because you feel, hopefully do it because you feel you can make a difference and change it. I would like to think that people starting in HR now will shape it for the future and will own it, evolve it, transform it into something else, really move it forward. You want the people now at that point to be the, the game changers. Um, how are they going to do that? Um, interesting story here. Mm-hmm. So I um, spoke at a conference last year a bunch of students in the room, a couple of hundred, and I asked the question, who feels that they own the profession? Who feels you could actually do something to make a difference? Out of a couple of hundred people, not a single hand went up. So I think we, as um, senior people within the profession, have got a, a job to do here to help empower people, give them options, um, give them confidence so that they can turn out to be the game changers for our profession yeah. for the future. Cool. I, I don't disagree with any of that. I think that's good advice. So seek seek to understand yourself, learn, get some coaches and mentors, look at different formal mechanisms, uh, and just, I suppose, just learn as you go along, really. Yeah. Just reflect, think. Um, that bit about change at the end and changing the profession is interesting. Perhaps it goes to my point. I'm not... I, 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 I'm, I'm frustrated, actually. I don't see a lot of change, actually, going on within HR. And I think that's really disappointing, you know. Mm. So much disruption, so much change going on in our world and our, you know, our lives. And HR sort of seems to be a bit caught in a bit of a... You know, we're doing the same stuff as we were 10 years ago. I mean, I've done a big survey of HR directors, really, and they're still talking about structure and Ulrich and stuff. And I'm going, yeah, but how do we make a difference to lives and how do we make a difference to business? And you've just got to do different stuff and, and, and be more reflective of what's going on in the organisation. Okay, so uh, thank you for that. Now, tell me a bit about, um, I suppose, what you're doing now. So perhaps a, a client story. So a way in which you're working with a client to do things differently. I mean, any you know, if you can name them, great. If you can't, just talk about them in the abstract. But you know, tell us a bit about how you're working as a consultant because there's a whole host of different skills and things that you need to do to be great at that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So it really does, um, 
Most of when I go in and do consulting now, most of it does hinge on that people experience model because people want to, they, they're aware that they're in this um, traditional human resources setup and it's working to an extent, but they are being challenged by their organizational leaders to innovate. The organization wants to innovate to be more competitive um, and they still see that they've got this pretty static HR function. Um, I'm working, I can't name the organisation, but I'm working with one organisation at the moment who um, HRD's just been, probably been in six months, good enough time just to have a bit of an assessment. Yes, they understand what's going on. But Yeah, I had a little bit of time just to suss things out. Came in with the mandate to transform, whatever that might mean, because you kind of need to define, yeah, yeah. What, really, have you got the appetite? Do you want to transform? Is that what you have the appetite for? Or are we just talking about change? And a you know no, a slow pace fair. of evolution here. There's that great quote. I don't know who made the quote. That said, it's um, transformation is uh, not like a caterpillar becoming a faster caterpillar. It's about a caterpillar becoming Coming a butterfly. And that's been overused and overused. But that's no. when you talk to people about that. They say, oh yeah, actually we don't just want a faster, more efficient HR function or caterpillar. We want something different here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm helping the organisation explore what exactly that might be and adopt that model that I mentioned earlier with the four pillars and to uh, change the mindset, not just of the people working in HR, that you're now delivering people experience, but supporting the HRD and communicating that to the organisation yeah. that um, you've asked for transformation. This is a journey of transformation that we're embarking on. Um, these transactional things that you are coming to us for now they're not going to we're not going to stop doing them but they'll be delivered in a different more effective way Um, and they're therefore this you know just it's a bit about the journey so that's something i'm working on at the moment and i think it is always fascinating seeing that it's not like you're taking it from chaos to order because it's not that it's chaotic or dysfunctional it's a different kind yeah i mean to be honest it's You, you, there's the messy bit in the middle. I also call it the yeah. messy middle. You know, you start off with clarity about where you are and what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. You sort of know where you want to go, and there's this bit in the middle where you're trying to transform from one way of operating to another. And it, people, we need to be prepared for things to be different and to be a bit messy and there to be a bit of failure. But there's some learning, and we'll get mm-hmm. better. And then you come out of it in a in a different shape. So I think you're right. A lot of it is about educating organisations about what to experience. I think the, the interesting thing is most organisations don't know how to transform. Yeah. They don't know how to transform. And so I think you're, you're doing some really interesting and innovative working in that space, particularly with HR functions. Yeah. Who I think have got to get in front of businesses. Yes, exactly. And quite often what you can see is the transformation starts outside of the HR function. Yeah. It's normally driven by some commercial stuff somewhere. Yeah. And, Someone looks at HR and goes, well, that needs to be different. Um, so let's start to think about the future. So we've talked about the HR profession and what it needs to do differently. We've talked about young people. You know, we read all the time about, you know, robots, algorithms, machine learning, and there's no doubt that it's going to come, it's going to change jobs, particularly in the middle of organisations. You know, what do you think that says to... To HR as a profession, what do we need to be thinking about? What do we need to get in front of so that we can help organisations utilise the innovation? Because, um, you know, we want to take some of this stuff because it's going to be great. It's going to provide greater value to customers. But we need to think about what does it do to how we operate, how we organise things, how people feel about work. So what would your take on that be in terms of, you know, some of the technology technological changes just around the corner? Sure. First, first off, there has to be a mechanism for the HR function and certainly HR leaders to keep pace, to not be surprised or caught off guard by any of this. Um, so there needs to be some way of continuous learning or access to a resource where you know what's coming up. You're not going to get a shock that suddenly everybody else is in, in the organisation is talking about Um, a piece of technology or implementing something that you have no idea about so you have to make sure that you're informed it's a massive responsibility Um, and see a lot in terms of that how people are using technology um, AI in day-to-day life in general 
Um, so what's happening just in the way people are, are utilizing this technology outside of work because you need to um, you always see a disconnect between yeah. the pace of adoption outside of work to inside of yeah. work you get people coming into work and you still expect them to show up <laughs> and use Microsoft 98 yeah, yeah, and yeah we're talking about being a tech forward organization so look for that um, and do do what you can to make sure that that's flagged and um, is not neglected as part of the people experience that we spoke about earlier so keep up to date with it um, adopt what you can where you can for your function in the right way I don't think you necessarily need to be Depending on the organisation you're in, you don't need to be um, leading the field. Sometimes there are benefits in being a fast follower and seeing yeah, what works and has been tested. So you're implementing things with caution and in a, an, a credible, in a credible way that you know what you're bringing in has been proven and you've seen the evidence and results that it's the right thing. Because there's so much coming out at the moment. Not all of these things will be successful. Um, so there's part of that, just observing, testing, finding what's right. Speak to the people in the organisation who are also engaged with this. Speak to you, make sure you've got a great relationship with your tech function. What are they working on? Who's um, researching and innovati- innovating in that area? What are they implementing in other areas of the business? Make sure that they know that you're interested. Can you try any new technology that they're trialling for the organisation? Um, and then I think a big responsibility of HR and HR professionals is to um, remember we're human um, and that it's very, very easy to get lost in this um, and get so absorbed with it that you become disconnected or detached from the fact that we are human beings. Um, we've still got to consider the um mind body soul purpose of the nature of being human in what we do and if that's not a role that falls to hr i'm not quite sure where that does fall okay great so let's now come back to you so we're just about to finish so a couple of questions really one is um about what next for you so um clearly been doing this for about 18 months is that the short term that's what you're going to continue to do for the next period of your career and are you likely to go back and do a big HR role, do you think, at some point? Or do you see yourself doing different things? Um, I've only made one promise to myself uh, coming out of my last big HR job, and that's I'll only do work that I love with people who inspire me, and I'll only do work that makes me happy. What exact form that takes, I'm open to. I'm very much, I feel I'm very much on a journey. At the moment, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Um, if somebody approached me about a big HR job that I thought, oh my goodness that has to be my job I would have a conversation about it I'll only do work that makes me happy and I'm passionate about Um, so I see what where that that path takes me and in the short term doing what you're doing you're enjoying it yes absolutely and how's the book going because I know you published a book how long ago a few months ago so the book came out in February yeah um I think it's going okay so I'm still it's still early days and I haven't seen any sales figures yet oh. so just keeping my fingers crossed it's all going okay what's it called and who's it published by um, published by Kogan Page and it's called Strategic Human Resource Management HR Practitioner's Perspective so just give me you know a, a very short synopsis of you know if I pick up the book yeah how would I use it what was your intention within the book what do you want people to do with it so I'm, I hopefully wrote it in such a way that people can dip in or dip out to sections that are relevant to them at that point in time. Um, in essence, it's a, there's a, a structure behind it that is know yourself, um, know your business, know your industry and know your profession um, and encouraging people to think about how they can increase their impact and influence in each of those four areas. And hopefully the, the book hits those points. Um, and then when we come to the point about um, profession that's where I start to talk about them the model which is where I hope to m- move HR forwards to okay well best of luck with that it sounds you. like it's a uh, sort of a must read for people that are thinking about themselves in HR um, the final question we ask this to all of our uh, podcast uh, um, the people that do the podcast with us and, and, and that's this which is tell us a bit about what you do outside of work because you know, we've heard a lot about um, work and I, I, we've picked up a couple of things along the way. So horse riding was in there. Heavy metal and Iron Maiden we touched on. 
Um, there's a bit about spiritualism. There's a bit about giving something back. So tell us what you spend your time doing. And I know you're running around with your daughter and stuff as well. So there's most probably quite a lot you're doing. Absolutely. So um, I most of my time is spent with my three-year-old, um, who uh, she's just such a joy to have in in the world. So most of my time that I get is is playing with her. So I'm afraid my um, heavy metal days are somewhat behind me now for the moment anyway so i used yeah. to play bass guitar in a okay. in an industrial metal band industrial um, metal Jesus <laughs> so um, but those days are I feel like a distant distant memory now so now it's it's all about my daughter um i have a, a bit of a, a hobby in baking sourdough bread so okay. I'm a little bit um, of fair, a sourdough fair. bread fan. Um, and I am halfway through a two-year diploma in energy healing. Um, and by the end of this year, I'll be a Reiki practitioner. Right. So, so tell us a bit about A little about bit random, that. I appreciate. But, but that's, sometimes it's about balance, isn't it? It you is. Know, it is about trying to do stuff that's different. You know, yeah. I mean, I spend a lot of time doing stuff outside of work, which is people go, that sounds a bit yeah. weird, You know, but sometimes it's about the other side. So tell yeah. us a bit about the... The healing. So again, I'm, I've always been interested in this sort of stuff. Yeah. So again, it comes from the journey that I was on. So after I'd had my, in the kind of when I'd got myself together a little bit in the aftermath of having a breakdown, all of that energy when I wasn't working, all of that energy that would have been channeled into work was spent onto um, becoming as fit mentally and physically as I possibly could be. And I tried everything out there as part of that exploration. So I tried conventional therapies and treatments, and I tried all manner of um, wacky and (laughs) woo-woo treatments and therapies as well. And um, one of the things that I experienced on that journey was energy healing. And of all the things I tried, some of them worked, some of them didn't, some of them were a complete waste of time. But after every session that I'd had, I felt amazing. So I I don't understand how it's working, but I want to understand how it's working. So that led me on a journey to um, start to study it. I still don't understand it. Mm. I don't understand it, but I know that it works for me and it works for the people that as I'm now using as case study people. So um, it's, a, it's an exploration. It's, it's a passion. And it, all, it does touch on that point of, I think, we have to remember that we're human. Um, it's about bringing, you know, if you can be mind, body, soul for HR, then maybe it's part of that as well. It does sound a little bit wacky and woo-woo. I appreciate that, but... I'm enjoying doing it, so I'm going to keep doing well, if it. Well, if you better and you enjoy doing it, then yeah. why not do it? Exactly. Anyhow, thank you for spending the time with us. Um, all the best for the future with the book and the consulting and the, all of the different things that you're up to. And um, we've really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you very much.